Let's all stand up, shall we? I want you to just bow your heads now and be very quiet. And think about the words of this song that we've just listened to. It's your kindness, O Lord, that leads us to repentance. All kinds of experiences here this morning. Maybe, maybe we need to repent of feeling sorry for ourselves this morning. We think things are so bad. But when we really look at it, God has been good. Or maybe we need to repent this morning of an angry spirit. We've been holding something against somebody else. Maybe we need to repent of impatience that we, that we demonstrated this morning at home before we came to church. But remember, It's his kindness. It's his love that leads us to repentance. As we think about this today and look at this passage of Scripture, consider your own heart and ask the Spirit of God to show you where you need to respond to his kindness by repentance. Father, Use this time for your glory, we pray. Do your work in our lives. Bring about real repentance where it's needed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Turn with me to Luke, the 15th chapter, please. This is a very familiar story, but it'll be good for us to review it. It actually starts in verse 11, but we're going to pick it up in verse 15. It's about the young man, as you remember, who told his father he wanted his inheritance, and he took his inheritance and went to another country. And uh, he squandered, it says, he squandered his wealth. Then in verse 15, it starts. So he went. He had already thrown away his money now. In wild living, it says. And uh, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. You know, when we think of the word repent, it can conjure up in our minds heavy, negative kinds of thinking and feelings. You know, we think of somebody walking down the street with this big sign, repent, you know, walking around telling everybody that that's what they need to do. And somehow the connotation is one of laying a heavy guilt trip on people. Now, that is never God's intention when he talks to us about repentance. In the Bible, repentance is always connected with forgiveness. In the Old Testament, when the people of God were were so disobedient, so frequently turning away from God, he kept saying, repent and I will restore you. Repent. And I will forgive you. And that's still the message today. There is a, there is a positive aspect of repentance that very often we fail to think about. And we think repentance is just having to admit I'm a mess. I, I've blown it. I've, I've done something wrong. No. Always keep in mind that God says when you repent, I will forgive and restore you. Whatever that thing might be, whatever it is that we need to be repenting from. Now, let's think about this for a moment. What does repentance mean? What is a definition of repentance? Well, basically, it's a very simple word in the the original language. And, And the word simply means a change of mind or purpose. Repentance means to change your mind or change your purpose. And it's always in connection from something negative to something positive. It's not enough, and please note this, because this is the the key thought of this whole morning, and I'll be going back to it in a variety of ways. It is never enough to simply turn from something unless that is followed with turning to something. From a negative behavior to a positive behavior. From something that I need to stop doing to something that I need to begin doing. Repentance always includes both of those aspects. From something negative to something positive. I looked this up in the, in Webster's dictionary. And even the secular definition of repentance is very good. This is what Webster says. To turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. To turn from sin, the negative, and dedicate oneself to the amendment, the changing, 
the improving, if you please, of one's life. And so repentance must always maintain those two things in balance. And it's interesting. Jesus' ministry began with a message of repentance. If you'll notice, if you would like to turn to Matthew 4.17, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was the first word of his new message, the new message that Jesus was bringing. Repent. Because there's something better in store. The kingdom of heaven has come. A new life. A new citizenship. New involvements. New expectations. From the, from the negative, whatever it is we need to repent from, to the positive. This new kingdom that Jesus Christ was bringing. So from the beginning, the concept of repentance is very, very important. Now, the reason I want us to consider that this morning, as I prayed about this, it seems to me that, again, we are, in our society, being being impacted by a number of messages that fall into the category of what I would call easy believism. All you have to do is say, I believe. All you have to do is raise your hand or sign a card. Now, please don't misunderstand me. That may be very significant. And that may be a turning point. But it is not enough. According to what the scriptures tell us, forgiveness and repentance must go hand in hand. And that initial step must be followed by all of the things that God says, I am to demonstrate by way of true repentance. Some of you are familiar with the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a minister taken by the Nazis during the Second World War, a German, who in prison wrote several books, which later we were able and privileged to read. One of them has to do with the cost of discipleship. And in that, he uses a very interesting phrase. He talks about what he calls cheap grace. Cheap grace. Grace that doesn't cost anything. A message that says, God loves you, he wants the best for you, and and just believe that and everything is going to be all right. That's the message, that's the message of the prosperity gospel today. Name it and claim it. And in those messages, you do not hear the sharp, clear statement of the need for repentance. People do not want to hear about repentance. We want to hear about God's blessings. We want to know everything that God wants to give us. It's, it's the same idea as we have in so many other areas of our lives today. What's in it for me? 
What am I going to get out of this? And as long as that's what people feed the public, people, the public responds to that. But somewhere, the sharp edge of the need for repentance has been lost. But in Jesus' teaching, it was from the beginning, repent and be forgiven. I, I have to give you, I have to tell you a story. We, we were missionaries uh, for 10 years in Latin America, as some of you know, and part of that time was spent in uh, Quito, Ecuador. And during that time, I had the privilege of going through a spiritual renewal. I had been a pastor, and now I was a missionary. But God knew there were some things in my life that still needed a lot of work, and there still are today. Now, this was back in 1952, a long time ago. Some of you weren't even born yet. And I had the unfortunate experience of growing up with a a temper that was never really disciplined. I think part of it was because my dad also had a temper, and I don't think he ever completely learned how to handle it, and so he didn't know how to discipline me. As a result, I grew up with that, and after I was married, it was still present. Now, my temper was never violent, but it was very mean. It was very unkind, very impatient. I would say things that cut and hurt. And and that went on for the first few years of our married life. And I would always recognize after I had done it that I was wrong. And I'd go to Florine and bless her heart. I'd say, sweetheart, I'm sorry. And she'd say, okay, that, that's okay. And we'd go on. That went on. One day, I could take you to the house and the room and the spot where it happened. It was that impressed on my mind. It happened again. I got upset and I was impatient and said something and turned around and walked off and left her. You know, that's one of the meanest things you can do to anybody. Just say something and then turn around and walk off. Well, I did. And I thought about it and a few minutes later, literally, Seconds, probably, I came back and I said, sweetheart, that was, that was dumb. I was wrong and I'm sorry. But you know what? Florine pulled herself up to her full five foot one inch. And she looked up at me and she said, I don't believe you. I said, I just told you I'm sorry. She said, I heard you. I don't believe you. If you were sorry you would do something to change. That's what repentance is. It isn't enough to say I'm sorry. It isn't enough just to apologize. Repentance means taking steps to change that. Saying I'm sorry is simply recognizing the negative part. Now what is it that I need to do to change? What does God want to do in my life now to make me different from what I was, what I want to change? 
That's what repentance involves. We want to look at this story very quickly and draw from it several points that I hope will be helpful to you in the steps of true repentance. So keep your Bible open there to Luke, the 15th chapter, and let's look at these. This man had basically, he had blown it. He had taken out his money, had spent it, and now here he was in great circumstances of, of trying experiences. The steps of true repentance begin with verse 17. When he came to his senses... What does that mean? He recognized how foolish he had been. He recognized his need. He recognized that he was wrong. He came to his senses, an awareness of what was going on. That's where this has to begin. To begin and recognize the reality of where I am at this moment and what I've done that's been wrong. Basically, he was saying, I've made a mess of things. I've allowed this to happen. I did it. Nobody forced me. It's my res- Ah, there's the key. It's my responsibility. You know, that's hard for people to accept. We're always looking for excuses. We're always trying to rationalize our behavior. And so we look for, for some explanation as to why I've done what I did. Well, yes, I, I lost my patience, but you see, the reason I did was I had a hard day at work today. Or the reason I got so upset with you when you got home from work is the children have really been on me today. You see, we can find and look for all kinds of excuses for our behavior. But the first step in repentance is accepting personal responsibility for my wrong actions. And that's what he did. He came to his senses. In my counseling experience, I found that it is absolutely ineffective and worthless to try to counsel somebody who is not first willing to admit their need and accept responsibility before you can even begin to help them change. If they keep making excuses, if they keep looking for rationalization, you'll never make any progress. It has to begin with accepting personal responsibility. And that's what he did. He came to his senses. All right? The second step, verse 18. There was a change of thinking now in his mind. He said, I will set out and go back to my father. That word will is the key. You see, my emotions are not what I can depend on to make the right decisions. I have to make a decision on the basis of what I know is right, and I make that with my will, not with my feelings. We live in a feeling-oriented society. We're told over and over again in various ways, if it feels good, it must be okay. 
If it feels good, do it. You need to have fulfillment. And that fulfillment comes when your feelings are satisfied. Not so if there's going to be true repentance and true following of God. Our feelings must be put aside. And choices must be made with our minds. On the basis of what we know is right and with our wills in choosing to take those steps. And this man did that. It says, I will set out. You see, obedience, obedience is always an act of my will, not my, not my emotions. If I waited until I felt like obeying, there'd be a long time before I'd obey sometimes. But I must obey by choice because I say, God said it and I want to do that no matter how I feel. My will is involved. And so he set out. I will make this change. The third thing is in verse 19. Now you have, first of all, a recognition of need. Then a change of thinking in his mind. And now the third step, there's a reversal of conduct, if you please. So he got up and went to his father. See, it wasn't enough to say, I will. It wasn't enough to feel the need. He needed now to put that into practice. So somebody says, well, I'll do that. I'll begin doing that. But until you actually take the step of beginning to do whatever it is needs to be changed, no repentance has taken place. I will. That's all right. But it has to be followed up by taking that step and moving toward God. A change of emotion. He got up and went to his father. This was preceded, by the way, in case you want to see this in verse 19, by a change of feelings as well. There was a change of feelings in this man's repentance process. And there will be in ours as well. You see, feelings always follow choices. If you wait to make the choice on the basis of your feeling, you may never make certain choices. But when you make choices, and you make the right choice, your feelings will accommodate themselves, will adapt themselves to your choices. And when you choose to obey God, even though you may not feel like it, God says, as he promised the people in the Old Testament, if you repent, I will restore you. And when we take the steps of repentance and when we do what we know we should do and and obey, regardless of how we feel, our feelings will eventually accommodate themselves. God will bring those feelings around to what they should be. But we start out with an act of the will. And so this man reversed his conduct not only by saying, I will do it, but by actually getting up and going to his father. He got up and went to his father. The Bible talks a great deal 
about proving our repentance by our deeds. Let me show you. Let me just give you a couple of verses in case you're wondering about that. Acts 26.20. Acts 26.20. Paul is preaching and, and talking to King Agrippa. And he says in verse 20, he had been... Uh, preaching first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Prove their repentance by their deeds. And in Luke, the book we are looking at right now, if you turn back to the third chapter of the book of Luke, in verse 8, John is talking to the crowds, John the Baptist. And he says, in verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So there is, there is the fruit of repentance that God wants to see. It isn't enough to say, I will. That must be followed up by actually doing what we say we will do. That's what repentance includes. That primary statement is basic to real repentance. We can talk about willing. We can make all kinds of decisions and do that honestly. We may, we may do it sincerely. But until we take the first step of putting that into practice. Our decision is just that, just a decision. As important as decisions are. Going back to the story that I told you, the change began not just in my recognizing that Florine was right in what she said, but in asking God to help me understand how to bring that characteristic under control and a change in my life. And I won't go through all the details of it, but God began to do that. I also asked Florine to help me, to remind me. And through the years, and it's been a long time, but through the years God has continued to work, and by his grace changes have taken place. But it started out. It started out by not just saying, I'm sorry, or I'm willing, but what am I going to do now to prove this repentance, the fruit of repentance. And then the, the next thing we see in this story is in verse 5, excuse me, verse 21, the fifth point. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. There was confession. There was reconciliation. The kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Confession and reconciliation. My friends, there is nothing as delightful as the 
as the freeing of our hearts and our spirits when we confess. When we recognize what it is from from which we have to repent, from that which we have to repent, and confess it honestly and truly. I was talking to a young man just a couple of days ago. And he was dealing with some things in his life. And he said, you know, I recognize that I've been very irresponsible. And I've wasted some time in my life. And we talked about it. And I said, okay, look, why don't we pray and why don't you pray? And just mention some of these things to God that you've been telling me about. So we did. We prayed. He prayed first. Then I had a little prayer. When I said amen, I looked up. And he looked at me. And there was this big smile on his face. He says, man, I feel light. He's a pretty big guy, so that was a lot for him to say. He said, I just feel light inside. Well, that's it. That's what happens. When we repent, when there is confession and repentance, there is this delightful reconciliation with God. So he confessed, and he was reconciled, and he was restored. He was restored to the family. He was restored to all the things that a son can experience, and that's what God will do for you and for me. All that he has for the members of his family, all that he has for the children that he loves and delights in, all of those things are ours, and he wants to have us have them back. Whatever has held us away from that, whatever it is that has kept us from the Father, in this case it was one type of thing, but there are many things that keep us from the Father. And whenever we're willing to admit that and and confess it and and repent and turn away from it and ask God to help us change it, the blessing of forgiveness, of reconciliation and restitution, restoration into the family of God once again. It's interesting. This man made no excuse to rationalize. He didn't try to, to explain it away. He just admitted, I have sinned. I have sinned and I'm willing to be a servant. I'm willing to start from the bottom. I don't deserve anything else. And he was completely dependent, completely dependent on the Father's mercy. And so are you and I. We don't deserve his blessing. We don't deserve his forgiveness. We don't deserve being restored and being a part of his family again after we've done something that we know is wrong. We don't deserve it. But God says, that's all right. I still love you. I still want to receive you. I still want to bless you. If you're willing to confess and repent, complete restoration back on track. The Father said, the Lord. And that's what God says. When you and I have been separated from God because of some sin, whatever that might be, and we're willing to confess it and repent and turn from it and turn to whatever God wants us to do, God says the lost is found. We're back in fellowship. This, my son, was dead, but he's alive again. 
Our fellowship with God is a form of of life. And when that fellowship is broken, it's a form of spiritual death. We don't lose our relationship with God. We're still His sons, but our fellowship is broken and the blessing of God is missing. And there is that, that sense of death in our relationship with Him because of sin that hasn't been dealt with, whatever that might be. And when we're willing to confess it, and when we're willing to repent and turn away and ask God to restore us, He does that. He does that quickly, completely, generously, lovingly. He forgives and He restores. The Bible talks about the everlasting love of God. And that's true. His love is everlasting. But in the context of his love, he says, if you repent, if you repent, I I will restore you and demonstrate my love once again. That's a big if. It's an important one. To turn from and to. Let me wind this up with a biblical example of this. Turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. And I think if you can, if you can make a note somewhere to review this later, it will give you probably one of the most specific, concise outlines of what repentance is all about. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, beginning with verse 22. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Remember we said repentance is a negative aspect, something that you must put off, something that must be changed. That's part of it. But then it goes on in verse 23 and he says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. See, that's what happened to this young prodigal. His mind was changed. He recognized what he had done, and he recognized his need to go back to the Father and ask forgiveness. It was something that he chose to do in his mind, even though his emotions were still all messed up. He, he was concerned, he was almost convinced that the Father would not accept him back. Emotionally, he was very uncertain of himself, but in his mind, he knew what he should do, and he was willing to do it. Renewed in the spirit of your minds. Not how you feel, but what you know you should do. And then the third thing is in verse 24. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see the three steps? There's something that must be put off. That's fine. I recognize that. I admit it. There's something that needs to happen in my mind. Not just, I'm sorry. Not just, I will do that, but a choice, a determination to follow through. And then the third step is to do that, to put on a new behavior, whatever that is. 
And the Spirit of God is the one who will enable us to do that. God says this, I am at work in you to will and to do of my good pleasure. And I make that choice and I set my will and I take that first step to change and God says, I'll help you. I'm at work in you to will and to do of your good pleasure. In verse 28 of chapter 4, you have the example of the thief. And this is perfect. This tells you the whole story. Notice what, what it says. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. All right, that's putting off a behavior. But that's not enough. But must work. That's a whole change of mind for a thief. A person who's been stealing does it because he doesn't want to work. And Paul Paul says, now he's got to stop stealing, but he's got to have a change of mind and go out and get a job. Well, that does take a change of mind, but that's what he has to do. Then the third thing it says, he's to do something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Think of it. Now he's no longer taking from people. Now he's giving to people. And in the process, he stopped one behavior, changed his thinking, and put on a new behavior. He was taking from people. Now he's giving to people. That's what repentance is. Putting off something having a change of mind that says, I am going to do this, and then doing it. The third step, doing it. What a delightful, fresh experience can be ours when we're willing to repent because of the kindness and the love of God. Let's pray. Father, you have provided for us this beautiful, beautiful way of being restored to fellowship with you. There are people here this morning who need that. There are things in their lives, whatever they might be, that are keeping them from fellowship with you. Maybe, perhaps they've never taken the initial step of of confessing their sin and repenting and asking for forgiveness. And and they need to do that this morning. I pray that you'll touch their lives. And then there are those, Father, who know you, but who have to confess that they have not taken the steps that lead to repentance, to change their way of life. They've experienced the reality of forgiveness, but, but the fruit of repentance is not there. Lord God, I pray for them as well this morning that you would, would speak and help them to be willing to take whatever steps there are that true repentance might begin and, and the changes might begin to take place in their lives. And while we're praying now, and, and I ask you all to continue praying, I want to know, 
Who is here this morning that, that recognizes you're like this young man and, you, and you've wandered off somewhere and you don't really know the Lord? You've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and, and you see the need to repent. You see the need to ask forgiveness. And you want to do that this morning and, and come back into fellowship or come into fellowship with God and experience His kindness and His love because of repentance. I'd like to ask you to raise your hand wherever you are right now. Whoever wants to make this step and to say, Lord, I've never received you as my personal Savior and I want to do that this morning. I want to repent. I want to come to you and ask your forgiveness. Just lift your hands quickly wherever you are.